on today's episode of Standing on the Word. Here, he's saying our, our reward isn't here. We, we don't have two heavens. This is going to be the only hell that we'll ever know. Here we'll be mistreated. Here we'll be persecuted. Here it'll be hard. Here we're going to have to carry a cross. Here it's going to be the most difficult thing you'll ever imagine. It's not going to be all rose petals here. But he says that there will be a heaven. You're listening to Standing in the Gap, standing for truth in a fallen world. Welcome to Standing in the Gap, Standing on the Word, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible and the powerful truths that are revealed throughout God's Holy Word. I'm your host, Mike Cross. In today's church age, Christians live in a world where they are hated and mocked, and even find themselves alone having been abandoned by their friends and family that do not share with them in their faith in Christ and love for our Lord. Today we'll hear from Josh Tompkins, who is pastor and Bible teacher at West End Baptist Church. As we learn about persecution and all that being persecuted as a believer means for Christ Church. And now, from his sermon titled, The Persecuted Life, here's Josh. These verses that we're looking at are, I've described them as, as jarring. Uh, they're jolting. They'll hit you like a ton of bricks. And they're meant to do that. Uh, we're not going to be popular in this world. Uh, Jesus doesn't say that. You, you look at verse 10 with me there before I read it. It says, blessed are the, it doesn't say blessed are the popular. And you see what he's saying there? This is supposed to hit us hard. It's supposed to, to catch our attention. What he says here in this passage is his followers must be willing to endure persecution in this world. So let's look at that today. We're going to look at, I titled it, The Persecuted Life. Maybe that's why there's not a bigger crowd here today. If I had to title this, I told Brandon earlier, if I had to title this, The Popular Life, it might have been a more popular sermon. But if you title it, The Persecuted Life, this is what we can expect out of life. Most people don't want to hear this. But I'm not going to spray perfume on this and make it smell better than what it does. Now, Jesus does it, so I won't. So let's look at The Persecuted Life. Let's stand as we read. I want to read the whole passage. Starting in verse 1, we'll read to verse 12 as we look at the the persecuted life. And again, this is a hard saying. Let's start in verse 1 as Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he says there in verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, large crowd, he went up into the mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, And you guys have heard these, we've preached these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Verse 10, here's where our eye is on today. Verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So let's pray together and then we'll study what it means to live the persecuted life. Let's pray together. Father, I know these are hard sayings. At the very outset of of your ministry here on earth, you are making it clear what will happen to us if we follow you. And I'm thankful for these hard words. We need these hard words. We need to understand that. We need to count the cost of what it means to follow in your footsteps. 
God, help us to see that. Help us to understand these truths and help us to, to live out these truths, to prepare ourselves for the way that the world will treat us as your followers. Bless this time, God. Please help me as I do my very best to make these truths very plain, very clear, very true. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I think we all know, I want to start with this today, what it means to, to sign a terms and conditions agreement. Uh, we see that uh, probably in, in all areas of our life, we understand what that means. You see it, you know it, what the terms and conditions are. I, I got a definition for those that don't know what terms and conditions are. It is the rules we must agree to before we make a commitment, before we sign on the dotted line. Think of it this way. For those of us who have, have bought a car, you'll go in there and you'll say, I want this car. They'll take you into the office. They'll lay out uh, the, the terms and agreement. The terms and conditions will be laid there in front of you on a desk, and usually they're about a stack of, of, of conditions that are about that big, and they look at you and say, read through those, we're going to go back here, and just, you guys have, look through those conditions. And you and your mean staff will sit there and we'll go through it, and usually we don't read them, you know. Nobody has time for that. We want the new car, right? And we'll, we'll kind of flip through it, flip through it, flip through it, and we'll sign our names shaking on the bottom along the line, not really knowing what we're getting, getting ourselves into. It's not that just that with a car. It's that with uh, maybe a house. I've never had to buy a house, but I can't imagine assigning your name to, a, to 30 years worth of terms and conditions. I'd be sitting there just holding it, you know. Maybe some of you guys that are younger have never done that. Let me put it to you this way. When you get on your iPhone, and you're going to agree to something on iTunes, they, they send you this terms and conditions. Nobody ever reads those terms and conditions. You scroll up and get to the bottom and say, agree. We have no idea what we're agreeing to. We may be agreeing to them to listen to everything we ever say on our phone, but we don't have time to read it. I agree, you know. So we, we agree to these terms and conditions. I think we do this when we get married. It may not be in paper form, but God has laid out for us what, what he expects of us, the conditions of a marriage and of a home. And when you stand up before God and before a crowd of witnesses and you commit yourself to your, to your bride or, or to your husband, you are, you are agreeing. You are signing on that, on that dotted line. I agree to the conditions of marrying this person. I don't usually tell the bride this, but I usually in the back before I marry somebody, I'll sit down with the, the groom and I'll look at him and I'll say, this is your last chance. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. You not really know what you're getting into until it's too late. 
And there's nothing you can do now. That's the way the world is. That's the way the car dealers are and, and people you're buying your home off of. That's how they are. That's what happens in marriages. You don't really know what you're getting into. All those things are hidden. But Jesus doesn't do that here. And this is what this is. This is the terms and conditions of following him. That's what this passage is. Jesus is telling us on the front end, no hiding, no fine, fine print, no, nothing on the side that we're going to look at later. Jesus in his very first sermon, on the, on the front end of it all, he says, here's what it's going to cost you. Here's what it is. I don't want you to, to not understand this. You need to know what you're getting yourselves into with Jesus before you commit to Jesus. He makes it very plain and clear. I want you to see the, the context of this. The first nine verses of this sermon is, here's what you must be like. Here's a Christian. It's like he's painted a, a portrait for us of what a Christian not ought to be, but will be. My followers will be, and he lays it out there. I don't need to go through all of them, but my followers will be. It's like he's painting this beautiful portrait of, of what a Christian ought to be, and it's my followers will be poor in spirit. My, my followers will be, will, be, will be mournful. My followers will be peacemakers and, and merciful and will hunger and thirst for righteousness. All these characteristics of, of who a Christian and what a Christian ought to be. And then he says, now that you are those things, Here's how people will treat you. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be like me, people are going to treat you like they treated me. And he lays it out on the front page. Here's what you can expect from following me. Before you step out, before you go into this, you will be, and he says that, not popular, but persecuted. And that word per persecuted, it means you'll be mistreated. You'll be talked about. You'll be misaligned. You'll, be, you'll stick out like a sore thumb. If you're going to be like Christ, you will be persecuted like Christ was. He's saying this to this large crowd. I said that, seeing the multitudes in verse 1. Jesus is saying this to mostly undecided people. He's saying this to, to people that are, that are up in the air, iffy about, am I going to follow Jesus or am I not? Am I going to maintain the same life that, that I've always lived, or will I pack my things up and get my family and follow Jesus wherever he goes and do whatever he says? So this crowd is kind of up in the air, and Jesus in this verse says, if you follow me, if you step out from the crowd and you decide to go with me, it will cost you. There's a price to pay here. It won't be easy. It won't be cheap. It'll be the exact opposite. It will be difficult, and it will, it will be costly. You don't hear this a whole lot in churches today. But Jesus on the front page, on the introduction of his sermon, says, here's what you can expect. You may lose family, you may lose friends, you may lose jobs, you may lose money, you may lose it all if you follow me. And why does he do that? He wants us to know this up front right now, before we commit, before we sign on the dotted line. He's asking us in this verse, do you really want to do this? Jesus is doing in these verses what I do with a groom before he gets married. Before he walks up here and makes this commitment to this, to this woman for, for life, I look at him and I say, do you really want to do this? Jesus in these verses is looking at us and saying, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to follow me? Because this is what it's going to be. I'm hiding nothing from you. There's no fine print. There's, there's, there's nothing hidden at all. This is what it means. And, and it means this for every single one of us. It's not a select few. It's not just for the preachers. It's not just for the missionaries. It's not just for the early church. This is for everybody who follows him. Do you really 
want to do this. You won't be popular. You may not be liked. The guarantee is you will be persecuted. We must be willing to endure persecution for following Christ. You say, what does that mean? Well, let's look at this. It may be uncomfortable for us to look at this today. It may not be the most popular sermon that I ever preach, but here it is. So I want to help us understand this. I want to help us to be able to decide today. You sitting there in your pew, you may be like this crowd up in the air. Do I really want to follow Christ? Do I really want to go all in? Do I really want to, uh, you know, pack my things up and follow him wherever he goes and whatever he says? You, you may be sitting there saying, I'm, I'm iffy. I want you to decide today, do I really want to follow? So let's look at it. I'm going to give you four points today. I know it's three plus, you know, I'm giving you an extra one. Without you, no charge. Let's look at this, the persecuted life. Number one, let me show you the certainty. The certainty of persecution. He guarantees it here. I mean, he's not pulling any punches at all. Up front, telling you how it is. This is the certainty of persecution. You can expect it. Jesus says here, blessed are they which are persecuted. And that word persecuted, I've already said it, it means to harass. It means to mistreat. It means to pursue someone in order to do them harm. I mean, this is somebody chasing you down, trying to, to hurt you. Jesus says that blessed are you when you are being chased around and being hurt. And, and the persecution here is, in this passage, it's past tense, which means he says, blessed are you when you've already been persecuted. It's as if it's already happened. It's a, it's a, you can expect it. You can guarantee it. Jesus is making us a promise here. You will be persecuted. We will not. As followers of Jesus, we will not get out of this world unbruised. You say, well, that's just here, right? That's just, this is the only place he says that. No, you're, you're wrong. I mean, you, you can follow with me here if you want to, but let me give you a few verses of what Jesus has said this in other places. Luke six twenty six, Jesus says, Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. There's, there's your verse put on a coffee mug, right? Matthew 10, if you want to turn there with me. Matthew 10 is just a few pages over. I want to read you some verses there. Look what Jesus says here. Verse 16, Matthew 10. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given unto you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And brother, good, look at this, brother shall deliver up the brother to death. And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Do you see what he's saying there? I mean, we can go on. I don't have to give you much more. But watch what it says in First Thessalonians 3, three: That no man should be moved by these persecutions for yourselves. Know thee that you were appointed unto this. I'll give you another one, Philippians 1.29. For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to, for, to suffer for his sake. I, I, you want another one? 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea, and all that will live godly shall suffer persecution. I'll give you one more, Acts 7.52. Which of the prophets, I love this, and I'll save this one for last. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? He's saying there, can you name one that has followed me that hasn't been persecuted. 
Can you name one? There's not one. It's a rhetorical question. There's not one. You can't name one follower of Christ who has not been persecuted. So this is the certainty of of persecution. You will be persecuted. You cannot expect to follow Christ who was crucified and not be persecuted. You can expect Jesus couldn't be more clear here. He never took it back. He never dialed it down. It actually got worse. You read Revelation and Christians are being not just mistreated, they're being martyred. So you, you, you can't spin this. You can't miss this. It will come. You say, how do we face this? How, how do we face this persecution that will come, this mistreatment of Christians? And the answer is you've got two options. Number one, you can escape it. And number two, you can endure it. There's your options. When you are persecuted, when you are mistreated by by the world, and this is for us as being Christians, when they treat us this way, we have two options. We can escape it. We can run from it. We can be those people that stand for nothing. We can be those people that never speak up, never act like we follow Christ. We can smile and just go along with the world. We can go into our jobs, and people in the workplace have no idea that we're Christians at all. We can never speak up for any evil that's in the world. We can do that. We can escape it all by never saying anything, never doing anything, by just smiling when they take the Lord's name in vain, by just letting everything go. Oh, hum, life is okay. Just escape it all. That's option number one. You can be a coward. You can be afraid. You can be ashamed of Christ. Option number two is you can endure it. You can embrace it. You can say, you know what, I, I don't stand with the world, I stand with Christ. You can say, you know what, I, I'm going to brace for the impact. I'm going to, I'm going to dig my heels in and I'm going to, I'm going to batten down the hatches and I'm going to hang on uh, for dear life and I'm just going to hold on to Christ and we're going to embrace this and we're going to endure this. I'm going to be like 2 Timothy 2. I'm going to be a good soldier who endures the hardships of, of war and of life and I will endure whatever the world wants to throw at me. You have your two options. You can escape it or you can, you can endure it. You can run from it or you can, you can endure the battle and never wave the white flag. Never sound retreat. Never turn and run from this. And I think in those two options, uh, if you're looking at them, how do we endure this? How do we, how do we face this? We don't escape it. We embrace it and we endure it and we fight it and we, and we run with Christ and we never bow down. I believe in those two options, loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ is the only option. And this will be when we decide that. Now I'll move on to the next point because we've got four. We've got to get through these things. If we endure it, it is evidence that we are true believers in Christ. If we run from it, try to escape it and live the easy life, I'll be a Christian and never stand up. You have no assurance that you're his at all. But if you endure the persecution that the world throws at you, you are proving yourself to be on his side. The world doesn't persecute fake Christians. The world will only persecute those who are real and taking a stand. And when I stand with Christ, it is evidence that I'm on his side. There's only two kingdoms. (laughs) You get that? There's only this, the world's kingdom, Satan's kingdom, and, and Christ's kingdom. There's only two sides to this battle, and there's too many Christians today that's trying to play both ends to the middle. They're, they're like, they're like the, I, I used to pastor a church in Appomattox. They were big on Civil War stuff, 
And they used to tell a story about this one soldier who'd go out into war, and he wore the, the, the colors of both sides. He'd wear gray on the top and blue on the bottom. And he would go out into war, and, and, and instead of being neutral, both sides were shooting at him. And that's how a lot of Christians are today. We want to be like the world and, and have that, and we want to be like Christ and, and have that. And we walk out, and we want both sides to be happy with us, and both sides to love us, and both sides to, to get along with me. I just want to have an easy life and escape any kind of persecution at all. No, you got to pick a side. Which side are you going to be on? Because if you're on Christ's side, know that the devil's greatest enemy is Christ. And when that target goes from Christ, it's going to hit me. The closer I am to Christ and the more I am like Christ, the more persecution I will receive like Christ did. The more trouble I'll get myself into. I told Steph the other day, it was having a rough week. I told her, I said, I don't know if I'm doing something right or doing something wrong. I hope it's because I'm so close to Christ that, that Satan and the world is, I'm, I'm getting the blowback from them trying to attack him. It's evidence that you're a follower of Christ. It's a sure sign. It's a badge of honor. I love that. If the world persecutes you, it shows that you belong to Christ. It shows that you're doing something right. So this is the certainty of persecution. It will come if you're following Christ. If you're like him, if you're following him, you will face persecution. It may not always be that way. There's seasons of uh, where it's peaceful and nobody's saying anything or doing anything. There's times, even in America right now, it's pretty peaceful. They're not persecuting Christians right now, but there's other places of the world where Christians are being martyred and, and they're being persecuted all the time. So there may be times right now when it's easy, but there's going to be times when you will be persecuted. Some not as bad as others, but we all will face persecution. It's a certainty. You say, why? Let me show you the second point. We saw the certainty of persecution. Let me show you the cause. You see this here in verse 10? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You see that? There's four. There's reason number one. He gives us two reasons. For righteousness' sake. And in verse 11, he says, for, down at the bottom of verse 11, for my sake. There's two reasons that he gives, very clear, because we are righteous and because we follow Christ. That's the reason we are persecuted. But I want you to notice, I, I, we've read these verses, I want you to see what's not there. Jesus doesn't say that we will be persecuted for being mean. He doesn't say we will be persecuted for being offensive. He doesn't say we'll be persecuted for being unkind. He doesn't say we'll be persecuted for being hateful. Have you ever seen a hateful Christian? That's reasonable. When they, when a hateful Christian gets persecuted, I'm sitting there saying they brought it on themselves. That, that's, that, that's on them. He doesn't say being persecuted for being ungracious. He doesn't say being persecuted for being uncross-like. He doesn't say being persecuted for being obnoxious. I know obnoxious Christians. He doesn't say, get this, look, look there, blessed are you when, blessed are they which are persecuted for, for righteousness sake. He doesn't say for your political cause. We won't be persecuted for our political stances. Jesus is clear here that if we are persecuted because we are obnoxious, it brings no glory to God. If we are persecuted because we are uncross-like, it brings no glory to God. 
If we are persecuted before our political stances, that I stand with the Republicans, or I stand with the Democrats, or I stand with the Independents, or I stand with those who really don't know anything about anything, and we're just going to throw it all out there. If you're persecuted for that, you deserve it. That, that's not the right reason. We don't need help in being persecuted. Don't be hateful. Don't be offensive. Don't be unkind. The reason that we're persecuted is for righteousness. Look what it says. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Cause number one is for righteousness. It's simple. It's, it's holiness. It's purity. It's living a righteous life. We will be persecuted, mistreated, talked about, simply for living a righteous life. It's simply living. Living according to God's word. That's why people will persecute us. If we simply live according to God's word, people will mistreat us. You know why? Because in this kingdom, they don't live according to God's word. So we will stand out as we live according to God's word and follow Christ's principles and have his values and his priorities and his standards. If we over here are living the righteous life, the world will hate us. We are the light shining on their darkness and they want to put out the light. So they persecute simply for living the righteous life. Righteous living to the world is the most obnoxious thing. When we refuse to follow the world's morals, when we refuse to laugh at the world's jokes, have you ever been around somebody and they tell a joke and, and they're sitting there just giggling, you know, just thinks it's the funniest thing in the world? And it's offensive? And it's rude? And you sit there with a straight face? That wasn't funny. They don't like it. You make them feel bad. But when they take the Lord's name in vain and you look at them like, I, that's not appropriate. It's not right. They don't like it. If you just quiet and you just laugh at their jokes, say, yeah, 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 they'll be fine with you. But if you're going to live right and you don't laugh at their jokes, you don't have their ethics, you don't have their values, you don't have their priorities, you don't have their morals, the world doesn't even have morals anymore. But if we have morals, and we know right from wrong, and we know black from white, we, we get it. They will persecute. You know why Cain killed Abel? Abel never said a word. All he did was do what's right. And his brother killed him. It's a rebuke to the world. There's nothing more irritating. There's nothing more obnoxious. There's nothing more offensive than someone who's living a righteous life. Ever had somebody call you holier than thou? Goody two shoes. You ever had somebody come I mean, that, that's, that's what they do. That's what the world does. Anytime we try to live a righteous life and have the right standards in our home and, and we have the, the mother and the wife and we have the kids and we're trying to keep them in line and do the right things, the first thing that's going to happen is somebody over here is going to look at us and, and persecute us and mistreat us because we're living how God says to live. It's a righteous life. And then, and then the second reason, look, look at it with me. I know you guys are just loving this persecution sermon. <laughs> look what it says. you got to look down at verse 11, because it doesn't just say for righteousness sake, for living right. Because there's a lot of people that live right. There's a lot of people in Big Stone that are good people, moral people. <laughs> there's even religions that are good and moral. Some of the most moral people you ever find are, are Mormons. But that's not the reason. Look what it says. 
for my name's sake. Verse 11, shall do all these things to you for my name's sake. The real reason is not for our morals, not for our works, not for our goodness. The real reason is we identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the world hates him, and Satan hates him. And if the world and Satan hates Jesus, and we're on this side with him, and we're close to him, and we identify with him, and we love him, and we serve him, and we praise him, and we preach him, and proclaim him, then the world and the devil will persecute and hate us. Jesus said, if they loved, if they hated me, they will hate you. And what they've done to him, they will do to you. That's what you can expect if you lock arms with Jesus and identify with him. And we do that. We aren't just religious. We are Christ followers. That's who we are. We wear it proudly, do we not? I, I don't care if the, if the whole world knows it. I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just that we identify with him. I like this. There's a lot of people that identify with him. Oh, I'm a Christian. You, you see that all the time. Oh, I'm a Christian. They put it on their, their Facebook thing. Their religion is Christianity. But it's not just that we identify with him, because many do. Maybe some of you identify with Christ. You're sitting in here today, and you say, I identify with him. I'm a, I'm a Christian. But we don't just identify with him. We believe what he teaches. When I identify myself with Christ, I believe everything that he said. I believe that he is God in flesh. I believe that he is truly God. I believe that he was uh, had a sinless and, and perfect life. I believe that about him. I believe that he didn't think a thing wrong. He didn't say a thing wrong. He didn't do a thing that was wrong at all. He lived a, a perfect life that no man could find any fault with the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that about him. And that'll make me stand out when I believe what he taught. And it's not just that I believe that he was a, a, a lived a sinless life. I believe that he died a sin-bearing death upon a cross. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be the righteousness of God in him. I believe in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's offensive to the world. I believe in a physical, bodily, literal resurrection from the dead that confirms and affirms every word that he said when he was living. I believe in the exclusivity of salvation, that nobody can be saved outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that there's only one way of salvation, that we must put our faith in Him, that we're saved by faith, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You're talking about that getting you some persecution. If you believe those things, the, the, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, that He is God, that He lived a, a perfect life, that He ascended into heaven, that He's alive right now, that He's coming back again one day to judge the, the wicked, oh, that'll make you stand out. I identify with Christ, and I identify and believe what He taught. I believe there's going to be judgment. There's going to be a hell to pay one day. He said it, and he will be the one to, to bring judgment. He's coming back on a, on a white horse, and he's coming back to judge the world. I believe that. And I believe this, too, that a true Christian will live like Christ. If you, if you identify with him and you believe what he said, oh, you're going to find yourself in trouble. We know what this means. If we identify with Christ, if we believe what he said and what he did, we believe the Bible. It's that simple. We won't gain friends. We won't gather crowds. They will do to us what they did to him. If we follow him, if we act like him, if we preach the way he preached and live the way he wanted us to live and the way he did live, then we will face the same thing he faced. 
If Jesus were to come back right now and live how he did 2,000 years ago, he would be treated the same way he was 2,000 years ago. And if we're going to be like him, they'll treat us like they did. Are you okay with that? I'm dial it down a little. We say, let me before I count the cost, tell me what they're going to do to me. Well, these verses tell us what they're going to do to us. Jesus tells, he lays it out. We see here number number one again the certainty of persecution. Number two, the cause of persecution, and number three, the conditions of persecution. What are they going to do to us? Understand that he gives us three things they're going to do to us. Two of them are verbal. We'll say this, one is with the fist, the other two are with the tongue. The old saying says, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt. I like to say it this way, sticks and stones will break my bones, and words hurt me worse than sticks and stones. Words can hurt so bad. And that's what he says here, look what he says. I want you to see first the verbal abuse. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are ye when men shall, there it is, revile you. You see that? That's verbal abuse. They will, they will speak evil about you. That's, that's verbal abuse. They will revile you. That, that word revile means to insult. It's actually to cast insults. It, it, it's not just that the words come out. It's like they come out with, with fierceness. It's, it's like a sword coming out just to pierce you where it hurts. These words are, are being cast out of somebody's mouth or spit out of their mouth. They're angry and they're, they're wanting to say evil things about you. Vile and vicious words about us. It was that way for Christ. Matthew 12, they called him the devil. The early Christians were called everything in the book. They were called cannibals just for having the Lord's Supper. They were called all the most vicious and vile things you could think of. Matthew 27, Jesus was on the cross. It said they mocked and made fun of him. He was called a, a drunkard. Vicious things were said about Christ, and vicious things will be said about us. They will mock us to our face. They will insult us. They will talk about our character. They will talk about they will try to ruin our reputation. One of the most valuable things you have is your name. And they will do everything in their power, the world will, to defame, defame us. His reputation, my reputation. They will attack our values and our beliefs. They will even attack our salvation. I've had people look at me and say, and you call yourself a Christian. I've had people recently question whether I'm saved or not. I had somebody come back in my office just a, just a week ago, and as they walked out, they said, I question whether that guy, I, they didn't say it to me. They were just walking back down to my office, and then they said, I doubt that guy he even has the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so it wasn't to my face, but it was to the, to the bathroom door back there. That's verbal abuse. They were going to revile you. Say all kinds of evil things about you. That's what they're going to do. We see it now. It may not be to our face, but you see how Christians are talked about today on the news? How they're talked about in universities? How they're talked about all, all over the place? Even, even in our area, Christians are talked bad about. It's getting worse. So that's, that's the first one, a, a verbal abuse. And then the second thing he says is a personal attack. This, is, this isn't with the mouth. This is, this is kind of with fists. Look what it says. Blessed are you when men shall revile you 
and persecute you. There's that word persecute again. Same word, to chase down, to hunt, to do, to do harm. It's like a hunter chasing down his prey. But the world will chase you down to do you harm. This can be bloody. This can be with fists. It can be aggressive. The early Christians faced this. Jesus did too. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was flogged. He was put on a cross and he was crucified. That's what they did to him. And the early Christians faced the same thing. We can look at Stephen. He was stoned. They, they, they took him and cast stones at him until he died. Paul, the same thing. His, his head was cut off. Paul, you, you can go and look in, I think it's 2 Corinthians. It says, talks about his shipwrecks, talks about his stonings, talks about his beatings, talks about everything that he did. And you know why Paul got the most of it? I think he was probably closer to Christ than anybody that ever lived. The closer you are to Christ, the more of this you will face. And it wasn't just the aggressiveness. Because you say, no, this ain't happening today, right? It also takes place with our association. You say, what does that mean? The early church, if you became a Christian, let me tell you what you lost. You lost your religion. If you were a, a Jew or if you were a pagan and you followed some other religion, you had to leave that. And in leaving that, you lost every friend and associate you had along, along those lines. They weren't going to be your friends anymore. You left the, 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 the temple, you left the, the Jewish religion, and you started following Christ. They, they were done with you. No more, no more festivals, no, no more celebrations, no more birthday parties, no more family get-togethers. I'm talking family. You lost your religion, and you lost your family. Your mother and father, if you converted to Christianity in that time, would have a funeral for you. They would, I mean, a full funeral. I mean, they, they casket and all. Who was in it? Nobody. They were saying, he's dead to me now. Imagine that. I mean, you, you lost mom and dad. You lost children. You, you lost friends. You lost family. I mean, it was bad. Associations were, were broken apart. Count the cost, right? You would lose jobs. You would lose friends. And it may be the same thing for us today. It may not be aggressive. Get here. But across the world, there's more Christians being martyred now than in all of history. The aggressiveness may come here. It may become fists here. But it's not yet. I'll tell you what it is, though. We lose associations all the time. Because we follow Christ, people will break away from us. Because we follow Christ, we will be ostracized. Because we follow Christ, we will be written off. Josh is dead to me now. He won't do what I, I, we used to do together. He's dead to me. And it's not because I'm obnoxious. I may be sometimes. It's not because I'm mean. It's not, again, it's not because I'm hateful. It's not because I'm unkind or, or unchristlike. It's just because I live a righteous life and follow Christ. That people will say, I'm done with you. People will try to run you out of town. People will try to... You better watch out. If you're in your job and you take a stand for Christ and live a righteous life, there's going to be somebody underneath you or somebody above you that's going to say, well, let's get him to lose his job. It'll happen in school. I heard somebody say the other day that if you go to college and, and the professors that we have today 
And if you're a Christian kid who writes a paper about some Christian topic, that you could easily lose your grade and be kicked out of school. Compromise. You know, it's just, it's just one paper. <laughs> are you going to take a stand for what's right and live for Christ? Or are you going to follow the world and compromise? You could lose family. You could lose friends. If you're going to follow Christ, what this is saying is be prepared to be lonely. I'm going to say this and we'll move on to the next one. But this is the exact reason why we need the church. Out there they will ostracize us. Out there they will write us off. Out there they will hate us. Out there they will mock us. Out there they will insult us. Out there they'll try to beat us up. Out there they'll try to get us to lose our job. We'll lose mother. We'll lose father. We'll lose children. We'll lose brother. We'll lose sister. We're losing all that. I, you even see in some places that, that a, a husband will be converted and he'll lose his wife. That's not the husband I'm married. Or vice versa, wife will get saved and all of a sudden she's like, uh, the husband's like, I don't want to have anything to do with her. She's at church all the time. You lose marriages because of these things. Where do I go then? You go to the church. We're all on the same team. This is where my family is. Oh, I want my family to be saved, and I want them to be with me, and I want to be a part of, of what I have here. But when the world ostracizes us, the church welcomes us. This is our family now. These are our friends now. That's why we call each other brother. We call each other sister. We are a family here. This is my team. We're all in this together. I'm with, why are we here together today? Because you love Christ, and I love Christ, and we all gather together to worship Christ. The world hates us. They hate that. They, Sunday is nothing to them. We gather together as the family of God. That, that's pretty good. We need that. you got to be real careful. I'm going to say this and I'll move on. When you have a Christian who doesn't need the church, they're too friendly with the world. If your best friends are here in the world, and you don't need church, be careful. Look at the third thing he says they'll do to us. And it's similar. It's another with a tongue. When men shall revile you, number one, persecute you, number two, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. The first one, that reviling, is to your face. I've had people say these things to my face. This next one is behind your back. All men are of evil, and it's falsely. It's slander. It's just the defamation of character. against behind the back. It's meant to. The whole point in this here is meant to ruin you and to destroy you. And this happens all the time. And, and it, it, this is probably the, the most hurtful of them all. I'd rather have somebody black my eye than black my reputation. You know what they'll do? They'll attack, they'll attack your integrity. It's... There's a purpose of this. Satan does this. He's the one behind all this. He's a slanderer. He's the accuser of the brethren. His name actually means slander. And what he wants to happen is the world to talk about Christians and say, see what they did? And they didn't do it. You hear what they said? And they didn't say it. Do you know this about them? You know? 
And they're defaming. And they're, they're trying to ruin a reputation. And they're trying to, to, to ruin somebody who is following Christ and living righteous and, and doing the best that he or she can. And it happens to, to churches. Oh, a church is trying to live right and to, to glorify and honor Christ. And all of a sudden the world will sit there and say, do you know what's going on in that church? And none of it's true. But if Satan can defame the character, the reputation, and the integrity of a Christian or a church, he makes it not believable. And people's going to drive by and say, do you hear what happened at that church? Do you hear about that pastor? Oh, I've had that happen a lot. People make things up about you. People put words in your mouth. Did you hear what he said? I have people say that about my sermons. That's one of the reasons we started filming them. We can go back. There's evidence on the tape. Did I say it? That's somebody comes to me and says, you, you said this. I said no such thing. They'll misrepresent you. They'll make false accusations. They'll assign false motives. They'll whisper it to, to people behind your back. And then they even broadcast it on Facebook. Broadcast it to the world. Let me tell you about them. And it'll hurt. These things hurt. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie about it. I've been called every, every name in the book. When I was a basketball player, I was probably the dirtiest, meanest basketball player that's ever been in this area. I have people still talk about it. And I remember going into JJ Kelly's gym and then just fans are saying the worst things about me. I mean, just, I mean, I'm sitting there trying to throw the ball in and there's things just coming on top of me, you know, things I didn't know. I've never heard of before. <laughs> Names being called. And I thought, that's the worst that, that I could ever hear. And then you become a pastor and it gets worse. I've been called a liar. That's hard to hear when you're a preacher of truth. I've been called a fake. You probably have too. I've been called an unbeliever, again, without the Holy Spirit, numerous times. I've been called a false teacher. I've been called narrow-minded. That, that, all the time. Oh, you're too narrow-minded. No, my mind's not narrow enough. People say, you need to broaden your mind so you can see more things. No, you don't. I want my mind to be as narrow as cross teaching. I've been called a hypocrite <laughs> numerous times. I had a guy call one day, call and leave a message on my phone calling me the Antichrist. <laughs> I've been called a money lover. In it for the money. Yeah, uh, preaching is a get-rich-quick plan. Yeah, that's, <laughs> In 30 years, I might be able to afford to supersize my Big Mac. It's funny when people say that to me. Oh, you're just in it for the money, Josh. Have you seen my bank account? <laughs> I've been called judgmental. I've been told I lack, lack grace. I've been called every name in the book. If it's true, I deserve it. But if it's untrue, it's nothing but people saying evil things against me falsely in the name of Christ. I must live my life, you must live your life blameless before God, so that nothing people can say about you is true. I'm not the Antichrist. I'm not in it for the money. Why were these things being said? Because I followed Christ. Because I'm trying to live a righteous life. 
And I, I, I'm not going to say they don't hurt, because they do. This may happen to you too. This may have happened to you at some point. And what do we do when it, when it happens? We run to Christ. We run to the one who, who we want to be like, who we, who we, who we follow, who we love. We run to him and we remember that, that, that Romans 8 says this, who shall lay? I, I do this all the time. When somebody says something about me, when, when, when the lady back there who walked out of my office and said, that preacher doesn't even have the Holy Spirit. I opened up my Bible. I turned to Romans chapter 8 and I said, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also is making intercession for me right now. So I know that, that he's the one who's justified me. He's the one who died for me. He's the one who loves me. And I don't care what anybody else will say. That's where we have to be. Understand, this, this comes from Satan. He's behind this. And I'll give you one application and we'll move to the final point. But let us be careful that we don't become the persecutors of God's people. The world will do that to us and say those things about us. But we should never join them in talking about each other. When we come here, it's not words to defame. It's words to defame. Last point, we'll close. I know you guys are usually used to three points, but let's, let's, let's do the extra one. We've seen so far the certainty of persecution. We've seen the cause of persecution. We've seen the, the conditions of persecution. And now let me show you the compensation of persecution. Because now we get to the good stuff in verse 12. Because look what he says. Here's what our response ought to be to persecution, to those who's going to attack us both verbally and physically. How are we to respond? Verse 12 says that. First word is not. And that's the first word. If, if I was doing this, my first word would be whine and complain. <laughs> that, that's what I would say there. That, isn't that what we do? Whine and complain. It doesn't say that in verse 12, though, does it? He uses exuberant terms here. He says that when this happens to you, when you are verbally and when you are physically abused, when you are ostracized and you lose friends and you lose family, when you may even lose job and money, your response ought to be a glad response. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. When it happens to you, you ought to be skipping and jumping and whistling as happy as you can be. You say, how is that possible? Paul in prison in Acts 16, singing. Don't dwell on it. Don't lose sleep over it. But be very, 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 very happy about it. Happy about it. How can we be happy when these things are happening to us? And he says why. Rejoice and be exceedingly. I, I love that word exceeding. If I, if I were you, I have it in my Bible. I bring out a pen and underline. Exceedingly glad. As glad as you can be. Why? Because I'm not hope. My hope isn't in this world. Look what it says. For great, I love that word great, is your reward in heaven. The word great is huge. Great is your prize in heaven. I love that our reward is not here. We don't have heaven here. We don't get two heavens. Jesus didn't get two heavens. When, when he was here, it was, it was hell on earth for him. 
mistreated him and, and mocked and, and made fun of and, and persecuted and, and sent to the cross to die. And Jesus even said, for the joy that is set before me, I went to the cross. Here, he's saying our, our reward isn't here. We, we don't have two heavens. This is going to be the only hell that we'll ever know. Here we'll be mistreated. Here we'll be persecuted. Here it'll be hard. Here we're going to have to carry a cross. Here it's going to be the most difficult thing you'll ever imagine. It's not going to be all rose petals here. But he says there will be a reward in heaven. There will be a reward in heaven for those who are persecuted, for those who who have paid the price. There will be a a reward. And, And get this. The worse the persecution you face, the greater reward you receive in heaven. The worse you have it here, the better you'll have it there. That's what this is saying. It's it's not for, I love this, it's not for those who have the biggest churches. It's not for those who have the most followers or are the most popular. But for the ones who are most faithful here in the midst of persecution, they'll have the greater reward there in heaven. Those who served in the hardest places. Those who faced the toughest battles, those who paid the ultimate price, the people that we have never heard of will have the greatest rewards in heaven. For those who embraced persecution, for those who endured persecution, for those who were called the Antichrist, you may not be loved here, you may not be liked here, you may lose it all here. But your reward in heaven is so great. And the problem with this today is we try to make this place our heaven. We want our reward here. Because you're sitting there right now saying, oh man, that sounds so terrible. I'm going to have a terrible life. It goes completely opposite of what some of those prosperity preachers are preaching. Your blessed life now. No, no, this is a persecuted life now and a blessed life later. I need to write that book in response to the blessed life now. I need to write the persecuted life now. It might not sell two copies. <laughs> but that's what he promises us. Not here, not now, later. Our hopes are later. We look for later. Here we endure. Here we embrace. Here we hold on tight. Here we cling to Christ. Here we're mistreated. Here we're not liked. Here we're not popular. Here we're talked about. Here we're hated. Here it's hard. And I'm thankful for the good days that we have here. When we're not mistreated and we're not talked about. And when people call and say good things about you and not bad. I'm thankful for those days. But here is not meant to be heaven. And he says it also puts us in good company. Look what it says. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. It puts us in good company. He says, the same group. I I love this because we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That when we are persecuted and we are talked about, not only is is our reward in heaven great, but our company here is great. I'm in the same group same category, on the same team as Moses, who left all the riches of Egypt to follow after God. 
I'm in the same category as Isaiah the prophet who was sown in half the fallen God. I'm rubbing shoulders with Moses and with Isaiah. That's to the team that I'm on. Not only Moses and Isaiah, I'm in the same category with Paul, who was shipwrecked, who was snake bitten, who was beaten, who was flogged, who was stoned, who, who ultimately had his head cut off in a Roman prison. I'm with Paul. I'm, I'm there with him. I'm rubbing shoulders with those guys, with the greats. And they're in heaven right now cheering me on saying, endure. I'm in the same category with the disciples. We know that all the disciples, all the apostles, but one, was martyred for their faith. Peter was hung and, and crucified on an upside-down cross because he didn't think he was worthy to be on a, on a right-side-up cross. I'm in the category there with, with John, who was on the island of Patmos for his testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prison island. I'm in that category with the martyrs throughout church history, with the ones who were burned at the stake, with the ones who were put into... In, in, Nero would take Christians and burn them, pour oil on them, burn them, and they were used as lights for his parties. Do you know any of those names? I don't either, but their reward is great in heaven. There were some that were covered in, in blood, and they let rabid dogs attack them. There were some that were thrown in sacks and then thrown off cliffs. Do you know those names? But the reward is great in heaven. We all belong to the same team. Do you know who else is in this category? The Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified, persecuted. That's good company. What he's saying here, it started so bad. And it is. If we follow Christ, he's taken the curse away from us, but he never took the cross from us. It could get ugly. But then he goes to the good. It's glad, it's reward, it's good company. And he says this, why? And I'll close. He wants us to see here, as he's telling us to count the cost, get this, here's the bad. I love this. You're going to buy a car, you're going to get married, you're going to have kids. You always do the weight, right? You always do the weight. So the, the groom will do back there with me. Let me weigh this out. Do I really want to marry this girl? Let's look at the, the positives and the negatives. And Jesus here says, okay, the, the, the bad is, and, and I'm closing, the bad is, get, get this, yeah, I'll be persecuted, yeah, I'll be talked about, yeah, I'll be reviled, yeah, I may lose a lot in this world. It, it's real bad. And it, I mean, here, here we go, it's weighing itself down a whole lot. The, the bad in following Christ is really bad. I'm making you guys want to run to the altar, right? I mean, it's just, everybody wants to follow Christ today, right? But then over here in that last verse, he tells us that the good far outweighs the bad. Do you see that? That our reward in heaven is so much greater than anything we could have ever had here. That the good of following Christ is so much greater than any bad that we may have to endure. He makes the decision for us that there's only one way to go. Follow Christ. Count that cost. Let's, let, let, let's count it. Here's what we get. And I want you to see this as I close the Beatitudes. Just look at the terms and conditions here. Watch this with me. Starting in verse 3. Look, look at this. Here's what he says we get. You, you, you understand this. Here's what we'll get. 
I want you to see it in your Bibles. Verse 3. I won't read it all. I just want you to see the last part. He says, here's what you'll get. You'll get the kingdom of heaven. You see that? You'll be comforted. You'll inherit the earth. You'll be satisfied. You'll obtain mercy. You'll see God. You'll be called the children of God. And again, you'll get the kingdom of heaven. Do you see that? You'll get a reward in heaven. He gives us seven or eight rewards there of what we can have. And, and these, these are the highest privileges in the, that you can ever imagine. The ultimate blessing of all blessing is to have all these things. That in heaven, we're going to have all, this, this, all these rewards, all these great things. Here it may be bad. We may be sad. We may be persecuted. We may mourn. We may, we may have all kinds of bad things happening. But in heaven, it's going to be so great. So count the cost. Is it worth it for what you'll get in heaven and what you'll lose here? Will you today, in looking at this passage, and I think he's looking at a crowd, decide to follow Christ? Will you today continue to follow Christ? That's the question. Do you still want to follow Jesus if this is what it is? Do you still? Do you want to? The old song says, and I sing it a lot, but I, I want to. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided, knowing the full terms and conditions, I have still decided. Today, I did it 15 years ago, and I'll do it today. I've still decided I will follow Jesus. No turning back. The song says, "Though none go with me, still I will follow." Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me. I'm done with that. The cross before me. I'll take up my cross and I'll follow Christ. Because I have decided to follow, knowing the terms and conditions. Knowing what people will say. Somebody watching this right now probably commenting something bad about me. All I can say is, Jesus, you said it would be so. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is the reward in heaven. And I'm with good company. I have decided I'll follow Jesus. What will you do today? Will you first, before, Maybe you've never followed Jesus before. Will you today say, I will follow Jesus? Today, for the first time, I'm all in. I've counted the cost. I'm with Jesus. I hope you will. And two, if you already decided to follow Jesus years ago, you need to say it today. As we're doing this altar call, this invitation, you need to, as you, as you close your eyes, say, I am re-upping on that commitment. Knowing the full terms and the full conditions, I am still following you. Whatever you decide to do today, know this. It is better to be persecuted with Christ than to be prosperous without Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word today for letting us know the full terms and conditions of what it means to follow You. And Father, as we play an invitation song here, I would ask that You, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, would work in hearts and will convince people of 
the necessity of following you, of turning to you in faith and, and believing and being saved. That they would deny themselves and they would take up their cross and they would follow you. May there be someone here today that follows you for the very first time. And for those of us who are Christians, and it's a room full of probably Christians, majority, I pray that now as we're praying that all of us are recommitting to living a life following the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's worth it. I ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. message that was indeed and now joining with me today in the studio is pastor josh tompkins josh in the sermon on the mount jesus gave special mention to blessing the true believers that are persecuted for their faith in him then the sixth chapter of luke's gospel records what jesus meant by persecution which included being hated being taunted and even being abandoned by friends and loved ones later in matthew jesus actually tells us to pray for those who persecute us and the Apostle Paul furthered Jesus' charge to believers to endure persecution when he encouraged that not even persecution could separate us from Christ and even went as far as to say he took pleasure in being persecuted for Christ's sake. So Josh, explain to our listeners today why they can expect to be persecuted for their faith in Christ and what all this means for them as believers. Well, first of all... Uh, why we're going to be persecuted, uh, stated clearly in the sermon, we will be persecuted, and it's guaranteed, it's certain for us that we will be. We can expect it as true followers of Christ. We will be persecuted for uh, our faith in Christ, for following him. That's what he said in the passage. He said, for my sake. Uh, that's the number one reason that we will be hated in this world is because we identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said clearly that if they hated me, if they persecuted me, uh, they will do that to you. As he left and ascended unto the Father, uh, he left us here, and a target uh, went off of him and on to those who followed him. The next in line was the apostles, and then Paul, and then Timothy, and th throughout. So as Christians die, that target goes on to the next generation. And we today have that target on us because we are his people. Uh, so we will have persecution the way he faced persecution. We will have hatred the way he faced hatred. We will be talked about the way he was talked about. The closer we identify with Christ and the more holy that we are. That's what that passage says too, for righteousness sake. So the more righteous we are, the more hated we will be. And that's uh, the crazy thing about the world we live in is that the most holy people on this planet will be the most hated people on this planet. Jesus was the most holy person to ever live, and he was the most hated. So that's what we can expect in our world today as well. The more holy we are, the more pure we are, the more persecuted we will become. And what does that mean for us as believers today? Uh, it means that we will face these things, and we must endure through these things. As Paul said, we will never be separated from the love of Christ. Persecution cannot separate us. Uh, Paul even took pleasure in it. And I'll give you this insight. I, as I was preaching the sermon, I left this out of my notes. But um, I believe that we can take joy in our persecution 
because we are granted or promised a great reward in heaven. So the more persecuted we are here, the more the greater the reward we'll have in heaven. And I believe that when Stephen was being stoned, every stone that hid him was adding reward to him in heaven. And he can rejoice in that. So we can too. Every word that is said about us is adding to our reward in heaven. Every time we are ostracized, we are adding our reward in heaven. So we can endure it. We can face it. We can persevere through it because we know that nothing can separate us from Christ and we know that our reward will be great in heaven. Thank you, Josh. And what a blessing it is to be persecuted for Christ's sake in his church serving his ministry. We love hearing from our listeners and hope to hear from you soon. If you have biblical questions and would like to have them answered, again, log on to our website at www.westendbsg.org and leave them there. And feel free to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by logging in and searching for us using at West End Baptist Church. Thanks for listening.